Hello, welcome to Vet Talk, the veterinary podcast. I'm Dr. Nathan. Thanks for listening. This is an informational podcast, and we hope you find it a valuable tool to help you understand veterinary medicine and how to better care for your animals. If you want to contact us, please reach out to theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com. You can find a complete list of the podcast episodes on SoundCloud or by going to lickingvalleyvet.com and finding the education page. While you are there, take a look at our blog section for more helpful information. You can also follow Licking Valley Veterinary Hospital's Facebook page if you want regular updates on released podcasts, blogs, and videos. If you find this information helpful, please feel free to make a donation to the continuation of this content. There is a link to do this on the webpage under the podcast list. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope this information is helpful to you. Today, our discussion is going to be about the largest organ of the body. This is the organ that regulates body temperature, protects the body from foreign invaders like bacteria and viruses, and permits sensations to be felt on the body. This organ is composed of three different layers, the epidermis, dermis, and subcutaneous layers. Yep, you guessed it, we are talking about the skin. In specific, we will be talking about diseases and problems of horse skin. If you have had a horse, you may be lucky enough not to experience a colic. Maybe you've never experienced laminitis, but I am sure your horse has had some skin issues. Maybe it was a tumor. Maybe it was a scratch or some itching. Maybe a fungus. Whatever it was, skin problems are common because that's what the outside world interacts with. Before we get into diseases of the skin, let's discuss how we keep our horse's skin healthy. We want to keep it healthy, because if it is sick, bacteria and viruses get through the defenses of the skin and they get to the slimy, squishy parts inside of the body, which don't always do well when confronted with invaders. The first thing you can do is keep your horse properly fed and watered. It's simple. An animal can be healthier if they have proper nutrition. And an animal is healthier if their skin is not dried out. Imagine two horses in your head. One has been eating straw for the last month and has been in an open hot field. The temperature is 90 degrees and there has not been a cloud in sight. What do you think that horse will look like? Well, I imagine a horse with a rough hair coat. It looks depressed due to both the temperature and the fact that its body is dehydrated. It can't get out of the sun and has been deprived of moisture. The white part on the horse's nose is so dry it's peeling off, and under the hair there are cracks in the skin, kind of like the dried earth that doesn't have the water in it to keep it mushy. Without water, skin loses its elasticity and the ability to respond without breaking when things poke it. Also, the horse's ribs and hips can be seen. And you almost can see this horse trembling because the horse doesn't have the energy because it's had no food to support muscle strength, so it can barely stand. Now, imagine next door to this horse. There is another horse. It's in the same environment and can see its thin neighbor. 
But this horse hangs out under the shade of a tree which happens to overhang a pond. It stays in the shade and its white nose is soft and smooth. It walks to its left and gets a drink whenever it wants. It walks to its right and a well-balanced food bin has all the vitamins and minerals and nutrients it needs. Its coat is sleek, it has the proper amount of fat and muscling, and looks alert and ready to go. Its skin is not cracked, but rather easily moves, having plenty of hydration, and its immune system is strong and ready to prevail against any attack made against it. A true horse owner knows during a hot day, a horse never stands under a tree, but rather finds the hottest spot in the field to stand. But for discussion's sake, let's say these are real horses. The foundation of any horse having health is a good diet and proper hydration. The body needs basic building blocks to function. Every organ needs nutrients and water. If we don't have nutrients and water, our and our horse's body will adapt, but eventually will not run as efficiently and eventually breaks down. Listen to the equine nutrition episode to get more information about how to feed and water your horse. But remember, even if I prescribe the perfect treatment for a skin disease, if the skin doesn't have the basic building blocks of allowing cells to function, nutrition and hydration, then that treatment I recommend can't fix anything. But I'm going to assume you have already listened to my horse nutrition lecture and you are perfectly feeding your horse. But there still seems to be a problem. Your horse is getting all the right food, but he's not wanting to eat. He eats some, but he just doesn't seem hungry all the time. His hair coat is rough, and you're worried it will break with some sort of infection at any moment. What's going on? You're feeding him the best food, and the jerk face doesn't seem to be appreciating it. Well, as much as horses like to waste the money we spend on them, it may not be his fault. It could be internal parasites. Internal parasites in horses, or strongyles and tapeworms, can cause a decrease in our horse's appetites and can keep the nutrition we are giving to our horse from being able to be used by the horse. The worms are using it instead. With this lack of nutrition, one of the first clinical signs we see is a poor hair coat. It looks rough and feels wiry. How do we fix this? Well, we vets have some good ideas. We will want to run a fecal and will likely find a large number of parasites in which case we can deworm and discuss some management protocols to make sure your horse keeps a low parasite burden and that all that high quality expensive feed you buy actually gets used by the horse and not some parasitic worm. Dr. Nathan, my horse doesn't have parasites. I use diatomaceous earth. Well, I've never thought diatomaceous earth worked, and now I have proof. I was talking with someone who conducted studies seeing if diatomaceous earth is good at preventing parasites in animals. And it doesn't. It doesn't work at all. So, anyway, after we get through that hurdle, we get you on a good internal parasite control program. And while we're at it, we will also work to control other parasites that could be affecting your horse. If you want more information about equine parasites, check out our podcast episode about equine parasites.
So, on to more parasites. Have you ever noticed those little bee-like things that hover around your horse's legs? They just dip into the leg every once in a while and then just dip back out. If you watch long enough, you'll probably notice little whitish-yellow spots appearing on your horse's legs. What devilry is this? Those are gastrophilus eggs. They stay on the horse's legs until the horse licks them off and then the eggs get in the mouth and make their way down to the stomach where they develop into what you hear vets refer to as bots. They embed themselves in the stomach lining and then continue developing until they pass out into the feces and then hatch out into that bee-like thing you are seeing which then plops some more eggs on the hairs of the horse's legs. Disgusting, right? This must be a gigantic problem. Well, actually not. They tend to be more a nuisance to the legs than anything else. They are usually kept in check by normal dewormings and don't seem to typically cause a lot of damage to the horse. I've seen people who have been endoscoping a horse's stomach squirt water on the little embedded larva just to watch them squirm and dance. Anyway, if you see the eggs on the horse's legs, you can clip the ends of the hair in to remove these eggs, and a few dewormings should kill the rest. Some species of parasites that can cause more problems for the skin are other stomach worms called Habernemia and Drosia species. These larvae are in the feces of a horse, and a fly will pick up the larvae and then deposit them near the horse's mouth. The parasites then start maturing through the digestive tract until they are ready for another fly to transport them from the feces to the mouth again. While they can be irritating, they are generally not a problem unless the flies, which are attracted to the moist area around the mouth, go somewhere they shouldn't, perhaps a moist wound. When they do this, they basically insert little worms and spots away from the digestive tract, and those lost little worms will throw a big fit. Instead of being little worms on a happy little digestive trail bound to plop to the ground in a pile of poop, they start causing inflammation. The big fit these worms cause is called summer sores. These worms might get into an open wound or corners of the eye and they can't find the digestive tract. But, like most parasites, they are persistent little buggers and keep crawling around looking for the gut and they destroy tissue while they are doing this. This can cause intense itching and inflammation and lead to a non-healing wound which often looks greasy or like it's draining. This can be a small wound or a gigantic wound depending on the amount of larva and can be an ugly big nuisance for the horse and owner. Typically though these can be treated. First, keep the flies away. This is important to reduce inflammation on the wound and preventing more larva from being deposited then killing those lost little worms. An ivermectin or moxidectin dose of deworming typically kills these worms. I usually follow the first dose with a second dose in two weeks. Sometimes I will need some steroids and antibiotics either topically or systemically given to help healing along. For some really bad cases I have mixed ivermectin with DMSO and applied it locally to try to kill the worms and limit inflammation. So lots of ways to treat it, and with some vigilant care, typically these nasty draining wounds can be healed up. There are a lot of creepy crawly things on the skin, like lice. 
I don't consider lice a lot of a problem. Typically they are in underfed animals, so like we discussed before, making sure your animal has good nutrition prevents and fixes problems. And typically I see lice in overcrowded animals or animals that are packed together and warmth for the winter. Often you decrease the amounts of animals together and the lice go away on their own. For animals together for warmth, this is waiting it out until winter is over. For animals that are packed together too close, which is often in hoarding or abuse or neglect scenarios, getting the horses to a proper facility with enough space will do the trick. Depending on the type of lice, orally giving dewormers may kill them, or fly spray may deter them from sticking around. Sucking lice are the lice that your dewormers typically get, while the chewing lice don't get deep enough into the skin of the horse to be exposed to high enough concentrations of your avermectin deworming drug. So for chewing lice, use a fly spray containing a pyrethroid, which will do the trick. Which brings us to another pest to the skin, flies in general. These pesky things can bite, buzz, irritate, and transmit diseases. We've already discussed how they can transmit gastrointestinal parasites, but they can also transmit viruses, blood parasites, and bacteria. We will have a more in-depth talk about flies at some point, but for now we know we have to keep them away so they don't irritate us or our horses. How do we do that? A mown pasture, a fan in a barn which can create enough airflow so the flies don't want to fly, fly repellents, insect growth regulators, fly traps, wasps that hunt flies, or paying young children to run around the barn with fly swatters are all on the short list of ways to control fly populations. We'll talk about flies, their diseases they spread, and their control in other episodes, but let's move on to talking about one of the things flies can do to damage and irritate the body. A body can be hypersensitive to a fly. Basically, when a fly bites, the body reacts more than it should. I usually identify these problems by seeing irritated skin in the mane or tail or on the midline of the belly. If by chance this allergy is something that lasts all year long, then I lean towards something more of a food allergy because food is much more consistent than flies in a horse's life. Sometimes a food can cause an allergy. For example, a horse could be allergic to grain and you have to eliminate that grain from the diet. But food can also cause other problems. Once I went to a barn and there was a black and white horse covered in ulcerations. Its skin had burst open and was bleeding and the skin was infected at spots. The poor thing seemed miserable. It was hiding in the barn and the owner had said that this had been going on for a few weeks and everything they had tried failed to make the horse better. What are you thinking? Well, if you realized we were just talking about food, you're right. I'm still on the food tract. Well, my mind generally is on the food tract. But this horse had an ample supply of hay for it to eat because the owners were trying to offer it good nutrition. They had changed to a new hay supply a few weeks ago, about the same time they were st starting to see the horse get its ulcerations. 
Well, there was a plant in this hay which was eaten by the horse. The horse didn't have parasites, so the food was easily absorbed and the plant was metabolized by the liver. When the liver released this plant metabolites, the metabolites floated around in the blood until it came into contact with the sun. The sun activated it to be a destructive product to the skin which caused the ulcers. I typically see this occur in white horses. Why? Because the sun can get through the white hair to the skin which is full of micro blood vessels. The sun can't really get through the black hair. The metabolite in those micro blood vessels is then activated and it causes destruction. And guess what? This black and white horse only had ulcers where it had white hair. So a simple enough fix. We removed the hay with the plant in it, and in a few weeks the horse was back to running around the sun-covered fields enjoying life. Uh-oh, we forgot. It's summer and hot and humid and lots of rain. Any horse owners ever heard of rain rot? It's not specifically rain that causes this disease, but often rain is associated with it because of the wet, humid weather. I have seen rain rot in the middle of the winter because there are wet, humid conditions in the winter, mainly under the horse's blanket. Many people put a blanket on a horse to keep it warm during the winter. I'm not a big fan of horse blankets, and one of the reasons why is I've treated cases of rain rot where a horse sweats or gets wet in the winter, a blanket is applied, and the moisture is kept under the blanket, making a very humid environment where the bacteria that causes rain rot thrives. Rain rot is more common in the spring and summer because the whole world is hot and humid. But anywhere a humid environment is created, you can see rain rot. So the bacterium thrive in this humid environment, and then through a small scratch in the skin, the bacterium get in the skin and start causing the horse to lose its hair. Usually the hair pulls out in what looks like many paintbrushes, and you see bald spots on the horse. Usually I see this on the back of horses. If you take a sample and put it under the microscope, the bacteria make a very characteristic railroad track appearance, making it very identifiable. They told me that railroad track appearance was how to diagnose rain rot in vet school, but I've never diagnosed it like that. I look at a horse and say, that's rain rot. Once you have seen one case, you pretty much have it in your head, and the treatment is not hard. You keep moisture from being locked on the skin and treat it with a shampoo that has iodine or some mild antibiotic in it. Usually, a bath daily for three to seven days and getting the horse all dried out afterward does the trick. Every once in a while for severe cases you may have to have your vet out to get antibiotics for the horse but in general it clears up easily. But just remember it is transmissible to other horses. So if you use a brush on your rain rot horse don't use a brush on another horse without sanitizing it with bleach. Thanks for listening. It's been a little crazy with the remodel in my clinic and everything going on with corona this year. 
but I think I might have a chance soon to get a few more episodes up and going. I'm looking forward to finishing editing an episode with uh, one of our local rescues, Fox Run Environmental Education Center. And, of course, we have the second episode of our skin diseases to come up. So, hopefully we'll get a few more episodes out. And there's a lot more to cover in the skin, but we'll get to that in our next episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Nathan. I hope this information was helpful to you and gives you a little more perspective on the world. If you want to reach out to us, email us at theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to tell your friends about our podcast and check out LickingValleyVet.com for information on blogs, videos, and the complete list of podcasts in our education section. Thank you.